podcast one production. I truly believe that dissatisfaction is the precursor to positive change. That was what instigated my shifts because it's amazing how we can go through life convincing ourselves that we're A-OK, we're deep down, we're restless, we're unhappy, we're dissatisfied, but we're not willing to do anything about it. I'm Margie Hartley, executive coach to senior leaders around the globe, as well as 11 of the top ASX listed companies. And this is Fast Track. At the age of 16, Lane Beachley confidently and emphatically announced to the world she was turning pro. And as a professional surfer, she was going to win a World Surfing Championship. By the age of 20, she was ranked sixth in the world, a huge feat in itself. Then in 1998, at the age of just 26, she became the world champion. Lane then repeated that huge achievement again in 99 and went on to win six consecutive world titles and claimed her seventh in 2006. And then in 2008, she decided to retire. Most of us would then take a holiday, buy a beach house and read a book. Most of us would probably feel we had achieved plenty, especially when you're the only human on earth to win seven world titles. But of course, this is Lane Beachley we're talking about. She's now an author, a speaker, ally for the environment, founder for AIM for the Stars Foundation, and she has her own self-development course, Own Your Truth. Welcome, Lane. Problems with a guest like you is I could spend the whole podcast introducing you with <laughs> your achievements. Like you already have. Thanks, Margie. <laughs> Good to be here. Yeah, thank you for coming in. And look, I'm really curious, after such extraordinary achievements, mm. you've now made it a mission for yourself to, to really help others. And I'm wondering what the catalyst for that was. I've always had this desire to give back and help others and there's been a there's been many catalysts you know you mentioned my aim for the stars foundation and and uh, after I won my fifth consecutive world title I was presented with the opportunity to start my own charity and my question was why and the response from the person who inspired me to do it was well no other female athlete has and I went oh well that's good enough for me I loved being a oh I love being a trailblazer I love being a pioneer I love breaking down barriers I love doing things that people tell me that I can't do. And that inspires me to get up every day and and persevere and push forward, especially in times of challenge and change and setback and what we're experiencing during this whole pandemic period. So very few people are launching a business during a pandemic. (laughs) Yep, that's what I did. But when I think about the catalyst moments, there's been plenty of them. And when it comes to creating my own online self-empowerment program, the catalyst to be able to give back to people really stems from my own challenges, um, the lessons that I've learned and my desire to help people shortcut the struggle. Mm. So I know how hard it is to do development work, Mm. whether it's in the corporate space or for individuals anywhere. And I know it's really competitive and I know that it is a really big thing to try and achieve. Mm. What have you found as you've navigated the personal development environment in terms of jumping in, trying to help others? That it, as you say, it's very competitive. It's quite cluttered. There's um, there's a lot of people vying for a small market. Uh, the great thing is, is that 
you know, I'm not targeting um, a niche kind of demographic. I'm targeting a growth mindset. And right now people really need to adopt a growth mindset. There's a lot of fear. There's a lot of suffering. There's a lot of struggle. And so the opportunity for me was to help people Mm. detach from fear and bring back the fun and find their flow. And so I don't tend to look at the overall environment. I, I wouldn't ever call myself or a business person that really overanalyzes things. I just go, oh, you know, I'm really attracted to that. I'm just going to do that. And I don't tend to really focus on what other people are doing or how they're doing it or where I'm going to fit in. I, I create my own niche and I think that's, that is a result of the success that I had as a surfer as well. I, I didn't have um, mentors. Well, I had mentors and role models, but I didn't have heroes. So I never put anyone on a pedestal above me. I always felt like I've, you know, I was going to navigate my way and negotiate my way and Similar to this, you know, it's starting off slow. All startups in the middle of a pandemic are going to be slow, <laughs> which we're finding or, uh, with Awake Academy and Own Your Truth. But I, I wholeheartedly believe in the concept and believe in the content and believe in its ability to help transform lives. And that's the objective. It's just to help people. I said earlier you could have bought a beach house and just sat quietly <laughs> I with a book. have one. <laughs> <laughs> and you have the ocean as your backyard, so mm. that's fantastic. But you've made yourself and opened yourself up and, and made yourself quite vulnerable to the world. So you could have been very protective and held on to the success that you have and stayed with that. But it's a big leap to actually then from that stratosphere make mm. yourself quite vulnerable and share the stories. I've been on your Awake Academy, Own Your Truth website and the course itself, and it's brilliant. Thank you. So how do you feel about making yourself so vulnerable? Well, quite honestly, I, I've, I own it. You know, I want people to own their shit and I can't expect people to own something that I'm not willing to own myself. So it all comes from personal experience, personal knowledge. This isn't textbook education. This is live, learned ed- education, shared knowledge. And when I think about, you know, you talk about vulnerability, well, Maybe I've always expected myself or described myself as someone as vulnerable. And it was interesting. When I did Arn's Brush with Fame recently, people said, you know, thank you for being so vulnerable. And I was like, well, my book is really vulnerable. Beneath the waves, I feel like I've opened myself up there. I open myself up when I talk about my mental health issues. I talk, I talk openly about my struggles and I don't consider it to be vulnerability because I just consider it to be honesty. And if so, therefore, if you're equating honesty with vulnerability, then guilty as charged. You know, I'm I pride myself as being honest and open and as transparent as possible, because when I do that, I feel that by being open and clear and transparent about my challenges and my struggles, it gives people permission to struggle themselves, but it also makes them feel like they're not so alone, and perhaps gives them the courage to share their struggles with others as well. Because we just when we're going through these things, I know I'm a sufferer in silence. I do tend to struggle in silence. And so when I recognise that, knowing that that's what I'm doing, I'm able to then put my hand up and ask for help. As Brene Brown says, very few people have earned the right to share in your struggle and share in your pain and suffering. So you've got to have the right people around you. But I openly and honestly and proudly share my pain, suffering and, and heartaches because I'm human. We all go through them. Yeah. And I want people to realise that that's a normal part of being a human being. And it's quite inspiring. I've watched your belief TED talk and found myself, I work in this space and I'm very, it, ta- it takes a lot to inspire me these days. <laughs> oh, wow. Good to um, know. <laughs> I was inspired. <laughs> There's a, a lot about belief and backing yourself, Lane, mm. and the messages are very clear and I really resonated with the stories that you had along the way. And you also talk about other people backing you. There were 15 minutes that you talk about that changed your life. Can you share those with us? 
Yeah, I think about there's quite a few 15-minute periods that have changed my life. But the one in particular was the employee at the old Manly Boatshed who sat me down after work one night. So I was number two in the world, working 60 hours a week in four different jobs, earning $8,000 a year from my sponsor. And it was just unsustainable. I was over it. I'd wanted to quit. And this was the second time, or maybe even the third time, I'd wanted to quit and walk away from achieving my ultimate dream and my ultimate goal of becoming a world champion surfer. And fortunately, one of my employees who was a very empathetic person and maybe, um, you know, had a bit of a, a love affair for me as well, which I'm so grateful for at the time, he, uh, he, saw, the, he saw the discomfort and he also saw the, the, the unhappiness and he said, basically, I see you, I hear you and I believe in you. And he said, here's $3,000, that's your next round the world air ticket, go for it, see what you can do. And that was the catalyst for me to go on and become a world champion two years later. And if I'm hearing that story right, it, it's not just the act of giving you $3,000 and permission. It's much more about I back you. Mm. I'm giving you that sort of sense that we believe in you. Well, we all want to feel like we matter. And if someone actually says to you, you matter, you, then it, encourage, it increases your sense of self-worth. It, it challenges you to to actually doubt yourself in that moment. And so hearing those words from someone that mattered in my life to know that I mattered to them, of course, boosted my confidence and my resilience and, and then kind of slapped me and snapped me out of the, the self-sabotaging negative cycle that I found myself in because I was constantly asking myself, how? How am I going to afford to go and to travel to Hawaii to compete? How am I ever going to win a world title when I can't secure a sponsor? How am I ever going to be the best in the world when no one believes in me? I've, you know, how am I going to keep believing in myself? And the thing is, is that when we ask ourselves how, the first thing our subconscious mind does is it goes back into the past to find an answer to it. And if you're asking a how that's anchored in negativity or fear, it's very easy for your subconscious mind to find an answer that's anchored in negativity and fear. Because as human beings, we'd rather be right than happy. So it's a very quick way to validate ourselves. So if we're constantly asking how, 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 then we stay stuck in the fear and negativity. And fortunately, when he said, here you go, I see you, I hear you, and I believe in you, I stopped asking how. And I thought, okay, this is it. This isn't my opportunity. One of the quickest ways that you can, you can flip yourself out of the negativity of how is you can start asking why. Because once again, the subconscious mind goes back into the past to find the answer to why. But if the why is why am I so successful or why am I so happy or why am I so healthy or why am I so well supported or why do I have such an abundance of opportunity, then the why is anchored in happiness, the why is anchored in positivity. And so therefore it's much harder for the subconscious mind to sabotage that moment. And the process, you learned to love the process. Tell I did. Tell me about that. Yeah, so... There was many times when I didn't love the process. I mean, if you looked at my training schedule, you'd think, well, what is there to love about that? What I did love is how it made me feel. And a lot of the inspiration behind Own Your Truth is to help people determine how they want to feel. Because right now we're told that we're not meant to be feeling the way that we're feeling. You know, the world is often telling us you're never meant to feel unhappy. You're not meant to feel dissatisfied. You're never meant to feel negative. You can't feel down on yourself. But by not honouring our feelings, we therefore become dominated by them. And when I think about growing up at a time where we didn't have social media, for example, I was allowed to feel failure. I was allowed to feel disappointment. I was allowed to feel 
heartache and heartbreak and and I was allowed to feel like I was never going to make it and that was okay, you know, because the thoughts that I had were fueling the emotions and so I couldn't change what I couldn't see and normally I can't see my thoughts but I can feel them. It's it's a different, different time now, you know. We've got all this immediate feedback and constant um, pressure, pressure and distraction. Yeah, I'm with in you. Our lives I'm with that makes you. it very difficult for us to even honour how we feel right now. Mm. And even LinkedIn can make oh. people feel highly anxious. It, its purpose initially was a great connection spot, mm. and Instagram too. I know both of those. A lot of my clients will actually lose sight of themselves and the groundedness that they want and hope for unconditional self-acceptance mm. because of the constant comparison to others. Yes, and comparison always leads to a sense of inadequacy. Mm. So if you're comparing yourself to someone else or you're comparing yourself to who you want to be or who you once were, then you're never going to be enough. And if we link that back to what you were saying before, you don't look at the competition that much. You're actually singularly focused and present. On the process. On the process. Yeah, on focusing on what do I need to do right now to get the job done. I already know what I want. I know what I want to achieve. I know how I want to feel. I know who I need to have in my dream team. I know what actions I need to take. So now I need to focus my attention on taking those actions. And unfortunately, we become so distracted by like all the things that you're talking about, all the white noise, all the comparisons, all the people telling us that we're never going to make it. Am I enough? Yeah, and that we're never enough, that we're never going to be good enough or smart enough or talented enough or beautiful enough or you're just never going to be enough. And that can obviously sabotage and uh, and hurt. It can create a lot of pain and, and suffering. So the idea is for you to create clarity around who you want to be and how you want to feel versus why you want to achieve something. Okay, Amazing. There was a piece there before you were talking about your employer who backed you, mm. both with belief but also with some money, which is yeah. very helpful. Always helps. I think this is a really great message for people in corporate careers too mm. and government, wherever they might be, the average worker and leaders out there to think about how they can back their people and how they can help create that sense of belief mm. about people having possibilities. Yeah, the first thing that comes to mind then is it's challenging to back others when you don't back yourself. So it's very, it's it's really important that as a as a leader, that you have to back yourself as a leader, but not with ego, not with fear, but with empathy and compassion, and understanding that people are looking to you for leadership. They're looking to you for answers. That doesn't mean you have to have them all, but it just means to as a leader. If you can let your people know that they matter, if you can let your people know that, that you value them, and if you can look for opportunities for them that they may not see for themselves and elevate them, and that's one of the things I pride myself on, especially with Aim for the Stars. It was all about elevating women, not waiting for them to show to me that they have the talent and the potential and the ability, but to provide them with the opportunity to then go and believe in themselves to do it. And I feel like we're waiting for people to step up before we present them with the opportunity. Lane, I'm curious about 
failure for you because it feels <laughs> as we talk to each other that you've never failed at anything. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, right. As if. What kind of, what kind of human being are you? <laughs> Have you failed at anything? Uh, daily. But yeah. I'm, just, I'm just curious. I'm, you know, mm. world champions, the author, the book, the foundation. Mm. So what does failure mean to you? Well, failure is a stepping stone to success and I hate to use the cliche, but I've learned so much more from my failures than my wins and failure has been a consistent theme throughout my life. I look at all of the things that I've become really successful at and I, I base this on the things that I'm not only successful at but I, that I really enjoy doing. So, for example, surfing and competing. I came dead last in the first five events I ever competed in. So that didn't, you know, set the tone for the fact that, okay, Lane, you're not, going, you're not making it now, you're going to be a failure for the rest of life. Like, <laughs> what did it feel like it though? It actually inspired me. It put things in perspective. It went, oh, okay, so... I'm still really passionate about this, but I know I'm going to have to work a whole lot harder. So what I've so the processes that I've followed to lead to me to this point in time have been incorrect. So I need to address that. Um, the fact is that when I showed up, I was super nervous. So I need to learn how to manage my nerves. Maybe my board isn't right, so I need to maybe look at my equipment. My nutrition, yes, yeah, certainly wasn't great. You know, I woke up and I felt uh, like I didn't have the the nourishment and the energy that I needed to show up and be you know, spirited and confident. So there's all these things that that contribute to um, your performance and they're just some of the things that you need to look at. But for me, failure in, in surfing didn't define me. It wasn't, it wasn't the definition for me. It was actually the, okay, this is an opportunity. And if I look at my career, I competed in over 300 events and I only won 29 of them. So Yes, I was a seven times world champion, six one consecutively, but I wasn't the most <laughs> dominant competitor. Well, you won the right ones. But <laughs> yeah, I won the right ones. I won when it counts. But then I look at, you know, um, television. You know, I've become a, a, a bit of a presenter and, and spokesperson on television, especially live TV. I'm, I'm quite grateful that, that networks um, believe in my ability to cope with live television and, I'm, and I have a real adaptable nature, which is a benefit of being a surfer as well. So, but the first time I did live TV, which is the Doug Moray TV show. Oh, I had, wow. Yeah, I had stage fright and I was mute. I couldn't say anything. I was literally looking at the lights and looking at people going. Live TV. Live and TV. you didn't say and anything. I couldn't That's say like anything. Something out of a movie. This is scary. <laughs> when I did radio, I was horrendously bad. I couldn't stand the sound of my own voice. They went, took me in to, to record an ad and I, it took me about 979 takes because I just couldn't get it together. I was like, no, take the headphones off, but no, I need them. No, I can't stand the sound of my own voice. <laughs> <laughs> and then the first keynote presentation I ever gave after winning my fifth consecutive world title, I received a formal written complaint. So <laughs> I was on a roll. Oh, look, you and I both know there are conference brats out there oh, yeah, who don't are. never satisfied, but a no. complaint? Yes, a formal written complaint because I said the word shit. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, wow. Mustn't have been taken. And then I've, I've failed in business and I've had plenty of failures. Okay, well, I yeah. know Awake, the um, Own Your Truth won't be a failure because it's a fantastic cause. Thank you. What I'm keen to understand is you talked about motivation. Is it a dissatisfaction with the feeling mm. that you have when things aren't working? Yes, I I truly believe that dissatisfaction is the precursor to positive change. And the reason I say that is that that was my precursor. That was what instigated my shifts because it's amazing how we can go through life convincing ourselves that we're a-okay, we're deep down, we're restless, we're unhappy, we're dissatisfied, but we're not willing to do anything about it. 
And it's not until you truly connect with that dissatisfaction, whether it's trying to lose weight or get a new job or you can't stand how you look or you can't stand how you feel or you won't tolerate the the situation of your relationships or where you work, you're not going to do anything different until you get dissatisfied with it. Because someone can say, you really need to do this or you really should consider doing that. You're like, yeah, great. Yeah, good advice. Thanks. I'll take that on board. It's all surface level rather than going deep. And you say, we have to go deep. We have to go deep. We have to connect with our feelings because it's our feelings that will determine our behaviours. Mm. Even though our value, I mean, our behaviours are driven or a derivative of our values, but deep down, unless we're in connection or in contact with how we feel, we can convince ourselves we feel a different way. Mm. Deep down, if you feel restless and unhappy and you're not willing to connect with that, then you will consistently seek ways to numb that feeling. So you'll find ways to numb it, whether it's shopping, sex, drugs, alcohol, work, exercise, clothing, makeup, you'll find ways. You'll find ways to mask the feeling and all that's doing is prolonging the pain and suffering that deeply resides within you. When I was competing for my sixth world title, I was deeply restless and unhappy. I lost my mojo. I lost my motivation. But the world was expecting me to win. The world was expecting me to show up each day and be the best of the best. I expected myself to show up each day and be the best of the best. So when I say the world, that's just my projection of my own expectation. So I was restless. I was unhappy. But I put on the mask. I put on the facade. I put on the shop fronts. It's all good. I've got this. I'm out. I'm winning. I'm, I'm growing great. Deep down, my behaviours outside of the competitive arena were in direct conflict with that. So I was down on myself. I was lacking motivation. I wasn't training as hard as I know I can. I wasn't monitoring my diet. I was drinking a little bit too much. I wasn't really motivated. I wasn't showing up as the best of the best. And fortunately, I have people in my life who I refer to as honesty barometers. And one of these honesty barometers came into my house unannounced, a guy called Guy Leach, who's one of my dearest friends, and said, Gidget, what on earth is going on with you? And he said, look, you're down on yourself. You're not motivated. You're really negative. You've had your dreams and aspirations up there on your windows, you know, your bathroom and your bedroom mirrors as a daily accountability partner. But the way you're behaving, you're getting further away from your vision, not anywhere closer to it. So I'm not here to tell you what to do, but I'm here to tell you that I'm not letting you get away with it. Wow. So right then, Leachy got me in touch with how uncomfortable I was. And I wanted to smash him in the face. But right then, I got in touch with, oh, my God, yes, I'm unhappy and I'm restless. And he said, all right, you can quit, regret it for the rest of your life, or get out of your own way. Up to you. And how did you get out of your own way, Lane? I got dissatisfied. Right. I'm and like, motivated I am so to dissatisfied change. with how unhappy I am. I'm so dissatisfied with the fact that I'm behaving in this way. Because I'm, I'm responsible. No one else can make me do it but me. So I had to have a really hard look in the mirror and go, it's up to you, kid. What are you going to do about it? Are you going to do something about it or are you going to quit and regret it? And I chose to get out of my own way first by recognising, yes, I'm restless. Yes, I've lost my mojo. Yes, I'm feeling really negative. I'm feeling really anxious. I'm feeling out of control. I had to honour that. So, and that was the start. So the dissatisfaction... That was the first time you probably truly recognised that the feelings connected to where you were at that time. Yes. And, and although you now, in hindsight, recognise many times, yes. as you have documented. So 
The dissatisfaction then of having a complaint after your first speaking engagement. <laughs> and uh, You know who I called when that happened? No. Leachy. Oh, and what did he say? He's like, well, how, how well prepared were you? Okay. I said, poorly. He goes, well, there's your answer. Right. What are you going to do about it? Right. Like, damn you, Leachy. He doesn't, isn't it? <laughs> Empathetic, but doesn't let you get away no, with it. No, no. He's yeah. my accountability partner and my honesty ruiner. That's fantastic. Yes. So reinventing yourself. Do you have any advice for others? Because <laughs> it's something, I've done it sort of once or twice in my life mm. and people often ask me about it, but you, you, the queen of this thing, the reinvention. Yes. And I think your story is really powerful because you're able to pull the threads of dissatisfaction, persistence, motivation, but really you're not skimming across the surface of goal attainment. No. You're really connecting with who are you and who you, do you choose to be. Yeah, how do you want to show up each day? And to add to that, what, how is it that you want to contribute to the world? Okay. Because I feel like too many kids are asked, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? And it's actually needs to be reframed to well, how is it that you want to contribute to mm-hmm. the world? Because otherwise we put too many parameters around what they have to be. When I think about reinvention, you know, I thought about when I left school, there was no fallback plan. I had, I achieved my HSC. I, I certainly wasn't a star student. I was until I started competing in U10 and, uh, I went from first in maths and English and geography to second last because now my focus was wholeheartedly on on competition and surfing, which according to my school reports would amount to nothing and was a distraction from my studies. So I was advised to lock up my surfboard. So fortunately my dad did not adhere to that advice from my school teachers and nor did I. And uh, I actually went back to my old high school and had a chat to all the athletes. They've got like a talent ID program and, and I asked them and I walked in and I was like, all right, girls. Put up your hand if any of you want to be the best in the world at what you play. And then there was a couple like this. And I was like, all right, well, you're all going to be failures. <laughs> like, none of you want to own it. Okay, bye. Have a great day. <laughs> and this is what you teach in Own Your Truth, yes, to own things, to, own to your back truth. yourself, to find that feeling and to use the dissatisfaction on the quest to achieving what you need to achieve. And you don't even have to use the dissatisfaction. All you need to do is actually become aware of it. And Mm. if you want to stay in dissatisfaction, then go right ahead. Stay there. If you want to stay in sorrow, if you want to stay in suffering, if you want to stay in sadness, if you want to stay in pain, go right ahead. Stay there. I'm not here to tell you what you can and can't do or how you should or shouldn't do it. And as you'll know, there's no try, should, would, think, guess. There's none of that dialogue throughout any of my course because I've learned the power of language and how utilising positive, optimistic, I am, affirmative language is how you truly declare and define your life. So it's a matter of just owning who you are in this present moment and then deciding from that moment who you want to be. What a fantastic note to end on. I am <laughs> so grateful for everything. We could keep going for hours. Why don't we? <laughs> <laughs> because we've only got 25 minutes oh, on the podcast. But... There was one thing I just didn't mention in regards to reinvention. Also, I didn't have a fallback plan. I didn't have a plan B, but I also didn't have an educational platform to fall back on either. I had no desire to go back to school. So I never looked to the past to define my future. I always looked to the future to define my future. And I always thought about who do I want to be? How do I want to serve? How do I want to contribute? How can I grow? And that's my driving force is how can I grow and then how can I help others grow? Because my, my ultimate why is awakening others awakens me. 
Lane Beachley, it has been an absolute honour and a pleasure and I've learnt and been inspired by a lot of what we've spoken about today, so thank you. Oh, thank you for the opportunity, Margie. Fast Track was presented by me, Margie Hartley, and created in collaboration with Podcast One Australia. Producer, Tina Matalov. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. Executive producer, Jennifer Goggin. To hear more episodes, listen for free at podcastoneaustralia.com.au, download the free Podcast One Australia app or search Fast Track Podcast.